Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. Yes, it's that time again where we must descend to the ninth layer of hell, led on, if not dragged down, by the mainstream media and talk about these allegations against uh, inappropriate conduct on behalf of Donald Trump. Now, there is lots of really instructive stuff in here, so bear with me uh, as I go through this, these details. It's really, really important that we figure out where these are coming from, what the political purpose is, and... Um, how we can judge them accordingly. So if you watch the second presidential debate, October 9th, 2016, Anderson Cooper demanded that Donald Trump answer the question, just for the record, are you saying that you did not actually kiss women without consent? Donald Trump said, I have not. Now, for those of us with more than a few brain cells rattling around the old noggin, this was a clear sign that the next wave of attacks you know, they wanted to get him on the record saying he didn't kiss women without consent. So the next wave of attacks was going to be women claiming that Donald Trump kissed them without their consent and so on. And surely as night follows day, uh, as dominoes collapse upon each other, that is what has happened. Now there's a parade of women coming out making these claims, which we can have a look at in a moment. But just um, what is that old Winston Churchill quote that the best... The best cure for any love of democracy is five minutes conversation with your average voter. A new Rasmussen survey finds that 43% of likely U.S. voters say allegations by women who claim to have been sexually assaulted by Bill Clinton are worse than Trump's graphic sexual comments about women, right? This is the grab them by the pussy stuff in the bus 11 years ago before he went into politics when he was still an entertainer. Uh, you know how... Um, you know, Jay-Z and Beyonce have pretty graphic uh, language uh, because they're entertainers. Uh, of course, they're banned from the White House because they just can't stand that kind of language. No, actually, no, they're, I think, invited pretty regularly. And um, I think Michelle Obama has said Beyonce is a wonderful role model for her children, which her children appear to be taking somewhat seriously. But um, so 43% say, well, the women who claim to have been sexually assaulted by Bill Clinton, well, that's worse than Trump's locker room talk on a bus in a private conversation. 11 years ago. 28% say Trump's comments are worse, worse than the women who claim to have been uh, raped uh, and sexually assaulted. And uh, he, of course, uh, Bill Clinton did settle with Paula Jones. What was it? $850,000 for uh, sexual harassment and so on. So 28% say Trump's comments are worse. Good job, moral relativism and leftism. You really seem to have stamped all of your gooey nonsense onto the brains of some people. Nearly as many, 26%, think the behavior of the two men is about the same. I'm just going to leave that with you, because it looks like we've got some work to do. So, on May 14th, 2016, the New York Times released an article by Megan Toohey. Huh, that's a last name of a Rand villain, if I remember rightly. Megan Toohey and... Michael Barbaro, titled, quote, Crossing the Line, How Donald Trump Behaved with Women in Private, which attempted to portray the Republican candidate in, let's just say, a little bit of a negative light. The article claimed to describe a pattern of, quote, unwelcome romantic advances, unending commentary on the female form, a shrewd reliance on ambitious women, and unsettling workplace conduct. Uh, that's the secret siren call for special snowflakes. You're troubled, you're unsettled, you're shaking. <laughs> anyway, the New York Times article said, quote, Donald J. Trump had barely met Rowan Brewer Lane when he asked her to change out of her clothes. Donald was having a pool party at Mar-a-Lago. Quote, he asked me if I had a swimsuit with me. I said no. 
I hadn't intended to swim, he took me into a room and opened drawers and asked me to put on a swimsuit. <laughs> this is a ah, this is what's called journalism. It's like when I once went to go fit, get fitted for a business suit, you know, I had barely met the man when his hands were all over my inner thighs. <laughs> as soon as the article was published, the woman, uh, Lane, was furious with the way her story had been twisted. According to Rowan Brewer Lane, quote, Trump never made me feel like I was being demeaned in any way. He never offended me in any way. He was very gracious. I saw him around all types of people, around all types of women. He was very kind, thoughtful, generous. You know, he was a gentleman. You know, the kind of man, this is me again, the kind of man who's going to be in relatively short supply if these allegations prove to be unfounded and continue. (sighs) So she went on to say, I wasn't really going to plan on swimming and he asked me if I wanted a swimsuit so I said oh okay you know sure and I changed into one I don't know how many other girls feel like they were misquoted but I know that for a fact I was the way that the article was depicted and as many times as they promised me they weren't going to do exactly what they did they probably owe me an apology and probably him she went on to say it was very upsetting I was not happy to read it at all the New York Times told us several times that they would make sure that my story that I was telling came across. They promised several times that they would do it accurately. They told me several times, and my manager several times, that it would not be a hit piece and that my story would come across the way that I was telling it. And honestly, and it absolutely was not. Yes, that's right. Reporters, they're not your friends. (laughs) When asked if Donald Trump ever mistreated women, Lane answered without hesitation, not that I've ever seen. Absolutely, without a doubt, no. I think that They're just reaching for straws? Megan Toohey, the reporter, said, We gathered a variety of voices, and our story is not just Roanne's account of her experience of him, you know, in the 1990s. It's the experience of many women going back over the years. And I think, to go to Roanne's point, one of the things that we also did with the story is, you know, we also experimented with a new format for the New York Times. We really wanted to highlight these voices. We gave these women very large chunks of space to kind of explain their story in their own words. New York Times reporter Michael Barbaro was asked by CNN's Kate Baldwin if he would apologize to Lane. He said, None of the facts are in dispute. We quoted her warmly and at length. We really stand by our story. We believe we quoted her fairly and accurately, and we believe the story stands for itself. According to Dustin Stockton from Breitbart, quote, Last June, Barbro took aim at Florida Senator Marco Rubio, claiming that he had splurged on a luxury speedboat as part of a larger story about Rubio's mismanagement of his personal finances. Even Politico ran an article debunking that whopper titled, Rubio's Luxury Speedboat is a Fishing Boat. The Daily Show with Jon Stewart mocked the story at the time. For Barbro, it's not the first time he's been called out by those on the left for a weak hatchet job on a Republican presidential candidate. In 2012, Ari Melber, a columnist for The Nation, a hard left-wing magazine, blasted an article Barbaro had written about Mitt Romney during a segment on MSNBC. Speaking of Barbaro's hit piece about Romney back then, Melber said, I want to call bull on both the substance of the story and the way the New York Times dealt with it. All right. On October 12, 2016, 
Megan Tu here and Michael Barbaro published another article titled Two Women Say Donald Trump Touched Them Inappropriately. The article primarily focused on 74-year-old Jessica Leeds and her claim that Donald Trump, quote, touched her inappropriately over 36 years ago. And let's look at some of these details. She says, It was on that flight that the stewardess asked me, Would you like to move up to first class? I didn't need to be asked twice, and I sat down next to a young man, blonde, tall, and he introduces himself as Donald Trump. I was not really aware of the real estate world of Trump. We just chatted back and forth. All right. Let's just assume she knows he's tall, even though he's sitting, yeah, long legs pushing up against uh, the uh, seat ahead. Fine. She describes him as tall. Now, here is a picture of Donald Trump roughly in the time period in question. Is he blonde? Uh, It does not appear to be. So he has changed his hair color over time. And so she describes him as blonde. But at the time, at least close to the time, it's not the exact day, he does not appear to be blonde. Just something to mull over. She went on to say, It wasn't until they cleared the meal that somehow or other the armrest in the seat disappeared. And it was a real shock when all of a sudden his hands were all over me. He started encroaching on my space. And I hesitate to use this expression, but I'm going to. And that is, he was like an octopus. It was like he had six arms. He was all over the place. Now, for what it's worth, not only is the phrase, he was like an octopus uh, from an old Velvet Underground song, but uh, it was also a word-for-word used from an article about a sexual assault case two years ago. She went on to say, If he had stuck with the upper part of the body, I might not have gotten, I might not have gotten that upset. But it was when he started putting his hand up my skirt. And that was it. That was it. I was out of there. And I don't think I said a word. All right. So here we got the statement. He goes up to first class, chats with the guy. Boom! He's all over her. And the mo- he touches her uh, upper body and then starts putting his hand up. Whoosh, she's gone. Doesn't even, doesn't even think she said a word. <sighs> now, of course, one of the problems is that um, she didn't tell um, the stewardess. Uh, she did not tell uh, any of the security at the airport. Uh, she did not uh, get help from a fellow passenger. I don't know if it was a daytime or nighttime flight, but... Um, if it was a daytime flight, I mean, this would be impossible to hide. Um, and uh, she didn't uh, say anything um, for decades. Now, she says that um, she didn't tell her friends or her family at the time. She said, well, I was concerned about losing my job. Now, I can understand vaguely if you don't want to go to the authorities because maybe you feel that accusing this man of uh, sexual groping or grabbing or whatever it would be called, assault, that that would cost you a job, but why would that prevent you from telling your family or your friends? I mean, that would have no effect on whether you would have a job or not. Anyway, so she says, uh, to explain, I guess, some of this, uh, she says, um, during the late 60s, 70s, and into the 80s, culture had instilled in us that somehow it was our fault, the attention that we received from men, that we were responsible for their behavior. You didn't complain to the authorities. You didn't complain to your boss. If something happened to you, you just backed up and you went on. Now, this story that women are just supposed to suck it up and and, uh, deal with whatever harassment they're receiving, um, rape has been illegal, uh, sexual assault has been illegal, inappropriate touching has been illegal, 
uh, for just about as long as common law has uh, been around. And so this idea that you just, you know, you can't say anything, you can't do anything, well, it's not Saudi Arabia or anything. And so she has to reach back. She's first of all said that this occurred in the early 1980s. Now, in the early 1980s, feminism was going strong. There was a superwoman thing, giant shoulder pads and poofy hair and uh, Melanie Griffith and the whole thing. And so she has to reach back like into the 60s to try and find this justification. I mean, it was in the 90s that Lewinsky had her affair, if we can call it that, with Bill Clinton. And there really weren't many people who were blaming Monica Lewinsky for Bill Clinton's um, advances or, or the affair. Um, so it just seems not particularly accurate as to the progress of uh, feminism and so on, right? I mean, it was... Um, in the 1960s and the 1970s, a lot of places put in sort of equal pay for work of equal value, and there was some affirmative action for women and so on. So the idea that into the 80s, uh, women are like these frail beings who can't possibly report any kind of uh, um, uh, inappropriate sexual contact, I know, I'm just saying, I have some reservations about it, um, to put it as nicely as possible. Jessica Leeds went on to say, I thought to myself, gee, I wish the stewardess would come and rescue me. And then I decided. I got up, I got my purse, and said, I'm going back to my seat in coach. I was so glad to get back to that seat. I started telling my story about a year and a half ago, when it became apparent that Trump was actually running for president. And I started telling my friends, let me tell you what this guy is all about. I would like to think that sharing this story will make a difference, both in the election and the society's view of women, to change some of the behavior, the sexual behavior between men and women in both directions. And I would like very much to feel like I've been a part of that. Now, on Thursday, October 13th, Leeds did an interview with Anderson Cooper and added to her reaction to Trump's alleged conduct, quote, and that's when I said, I don't need this. And I got up. I don't know if I said it out loud, but I do remember thinking, the guy in the other seat, why doesn't he say something? I mean, the guy in the seat across the aisle could see. So first she says she doesn't think she says anything, and then she says, I'm going back to my seat and coach, and then she says, I don't need this. I don't know these kinds of details. Wouldn't you just work this out a little bit before you start going public with all of this stuff? And when someone says, well, I don't know if I said it out loud... Ah, that's kind of important. You know, if you can't differentiate between things going on in your head and things that you're actually expressing to the world, that just seems like a bit of a a, a challenge. (sighs) Now, in one retelling of the story, Salid's told Trump she's going back to her seat. In another, she left without saying a word. In another, she thinks she might have said, I don't need this before uh, leaving. So what does it say? Leeds told the New York Times the incident occurred in the early 1980s, but then told Anderson Cooper it happened in 1979, and that she had another interaction with Trump at a 1981 event where he remembered her and called her a negative word that she would not describe. And she said to Anderson Cooper that this groping, this assault, went on for 15 minutes. 15 minutes. That's an astonishing amount of time to be wrestling with someone in a seat without anyone noticing, without the guy across not saying anything, not pushing a button, nobody's recognizing anything, nobody's seeing anything, nobody going up and down the aisles, nobody's 15 minutes. (sighs) Anyway, um, I I will let you all come to your own conclusions um, about the veracity or credibility of this kind of stuff. Let's move on. Now, 
What are some of the details? Well, Chelsea Johnson from Got News, gotnews.com, quote, Jessica Leeds told Anderson Cooper on CNN that she flew on a Braniff International Airways 707 from Dallas to New York City in 1979. However, Braniff didn't have 707 flights from Dallas to New York City, only 727s. Furthermore, the armrests on Braniff 727 first-class seats appear to be inadjustable. Okay, so this is important. You know, when I, I don't know if you, when I come back to Canada, you have to fill out this customs form, and it's always like, what's your flight number? I'm like, I can't remember because I'm an abstract guy. I'm into big philosophy, not little numbers. So I have to, what is it? That's the guy next to me or whatever. So can you remember the make of a plane you flew on 34 years ago? I mean, that's, that's really quite astonishing. She says the armrest disappeared somehow. I don't know why. How? Is Donald Trump a wizard? Can he dematerialize things with a flick of his orange hair? I don't know. Like his brown hair back then. So the, the, the armrest just, poof, just disappeared. Now, people are showing pictures online of armrests that go up and down. Those appear to be coach. The armrests on the first class seats appear to be inadjustable. And uh, that's uh, important. Again, these are kind of details. These are the kind of details that I would expect a competent reporter would look up. Uh, my understanding is is that there are records available of people on um, airplanes going back even to the 1970s. You could, of course, get those, I think, and you could uh, try and find out who was on the flight and where the flight was and so on. So, And when the flight was, early 80s, late 70s, and so on. This seems kind of important, you know, basic due diligence, but, of course, it relies on the Internet uh, to check these kinds of facts um, I guess the internet is doing jobs that certain American reporters just don't seem to feel like doing. Now, this woman, Jessica Leeds. A quick broker check. This is from, again, Charles D. Johnson, Scott News. A quick broker check with the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, FINRA, reveals that Leeds was responsible for $1,083,717.56 in alleged damages as a broker. And uh, as part of a settlement, I believe her company paid some, she paid some back. Now, according to her Facebook account, Leeds daughter, Robin Lively Summers, was invited to meet Vice President Biden in 2012. I don't know that those are just handed out like candy, so uh, there may be some kind of relationship between certainly the daughter, maybe the mother, and uh, Muckety Mucks high up in the Democratic Party. Now, Jessica Leeds also wrote an opinion article published in the New York Times on October 23, 2002, describing an issue she had with her, quote, alpha male, end quote, husband. She wrote, I wouldn't be surprised if you received more than a few letters from people, mostly women, about to have and to hold till driven apart, car section October 23rd. I have thought long and hard about how to communicate to my husband, the true alpha male, that his driving is terrible. I am lucky. I have a wonderful man as a husband, but he is a fool when he drives. So, I mean, you're married to some guy, you claim to love him, and you write to the New York Times for, for it to be published with your name that he's a fool when he drives. Why would you do that? If you love someone, why would you want to publish that they're a fool in a national newspaper to be read by millions of people for all time? I'm just, <laughs> I hate to use that phrase, I'm just saying, but I'm just saying. Ah. <sighs> When asked for a comment by a reporter, Donald Trump said, none of this ever took place, and you are a disgusting human being. Unsurprisingly, Leeds supports 
Hillary Clinton's campaign for president and noted that she donated to the campaign to obtain a Hillary Clinton button. Now, there's another woman in the New York Times story. She says that uh, in 2005, Trump kissed her in a Trump Tower elevator, but she didn't tell anyone except she claims her boyfriend at the time. Now, 11 years ago, the world was not very keen on male celebrities making unwanted sort of advances uh, on, on women. And uh, she says, well, I, I can't do anything to this guy because he's Donald Trump. Now, this is after, after Paula Jones got an $850,000 settlement from Bill Clinton, arguably a little bit more powerful than Donald Trump even, because of sexual harassment. $850,000. Now, there's no evidence to support the claim. And look, this is really, really important to understand. And I don't mean to minimize. And the whole point is that I'm really frustrated at the minimization of sexual assault, which is a heinous and dangerous crime that affects both sexes and is an evil truly evil action. But here's the thing. If I said, Donald Trump stole my watch 34 years ago, and there's no evidence I had the watch, there's no evidence uh, he has taken the watch, it's just something I say, Donald Trump stole my watch 34 years ago. Where's your evidence? None. What would people say? I don't know what to make of it. Uh, I don't even know why you're saying any of this, because uh, there's nothing that can be proven. It's just something you're saying. And they would not take it seriously. And I very much doubt, okay, maybe the New York Times, I very much doubt uh, news outlets would be like, Donald Trump, credibly accused of stealing man's watch 34 years. Like, I mean, it just wouldn't happen that way. This is the, one of the grave problems with these kinds of he said, she said stuff. You know, if a woman is, or a man for that matter, is sort of beaten up uh, and, and a, a semen on the body, uh, 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 you know, in the vagina. Of course, right, okay, then you know, it's rape. There's no question, right? The he said, she said stuff is really tough. And here's the thing. I mean, this is really, really important. You know, of course, there's a salacious quality to these things. And, ooh, you know, these bad things are said. But if you support these allegations or if you repeat these allegations as if they're just true because they were made... There's some man in your life, and it's most likely going to be a man, but there's some man in your life I hope that you love. You know, your father, your, your husband, your brother, your son, your cousin, someone in your life. And this sort of weaponized aspect of gender relations, it can very easily be applied to anyone. And, you know, if you're not a man, maybe you kind of don't get this. I'm going to mention it to you, right? But American men in particular, uh, if you become prominent and you go against the left wing's uh, interests, I mean, this kind of... Uh, these kinds of attacks uh, are not wildly uh, un- uncommon for men. And um, it could very easily ensnare someone that you love. So it is really, really important that we maintain these standards of innocent until proven guilty, proof beyond a reasonable doubt. All of the basic tenets of law are absolutely, completely, and totally crucial for us to maintain, particularly when it's most tempting for us not to. That's why we need standards, when we're tempted to lower them. And there has been a, a lot of effort put forward mostly by the left to lower the standards with regards to this stuff because it is such an easy attack and we really, really need to be vigilant and very, very skeptical of these kinds of uh, things because we do want women who, or, or men who have been genuinely sexually assaulted to be credible and we don't want a lot of the stuff that's been mucking up uh, all of the airwaves and the newsprint and all of that um, lately, right? I mean, Duke Lacrosse case, as I've mentioned before, uh, we've got the UVA scandal, uh, there's certain aspects of the Mattress Girl story, there's just things that are problematic up here, Gian Gameshi, um, uh, the, the case was basically thrown out of court, sexual impropriety or sexual assault. So 
this is uh, a problem. You know, you can only cry wolf so often, and the more times that wolf is cried in this particular area, the more skepticism is going to raise, and the more genuine victims are going to face skepticism, which is unjust. Just putting that out there. Think about the men you love and this happening to them. So Donald Trump senior communications advisor Jason Miller said, this entire article is fiction. And for the New York Times to launch a completely false, coordinated character assassination against Mr. Trump on a topic like this is dangerous. To reach back decades in an attempt to smear Mr. Trump trivializes sexual assault and it sets a new low from, for where the media is willing to go in its efforts to determine this election. It is absurd to think that one of the most recognizable business leaders on the planet with a strong record of empowering women in his companies would do the things alleged in this story. And for this to only become public decades later in the final month of a campaign for president should say it all. Further, the Times story buries the pro-Clinton financial and social media activity on behalf of Hillary Clinton's candidacy, reinforcing that this truly is nothing more than a political attack. This is a sad day for the Times. Now, this is one of the reasons why it is so hard to run against a Democrat. Republicans have their faults and their flaws, to be sure, but they generally don't pull this kind of stuff, this kind of character assassination stuff, as Jason Miller characterized it. It's really, really tough for people to do a sort of cost-benefit analysis and say, yeah, I think I'm going to go there. I'd love to. People wrote about me like all this kind of stuff. That'd be excellent. I mean, this is why a lot of decent people don't want to do it. And I think this is why a lot of people really admire Donald Trump, who knew exactly what kind of stuff he was going to step into if he chose to take on the Democrat and now, of course, the Republican establishment. And of course, this stuff bubbles to the top because people's base of the brain lizard skull ooh salacious stuff ooh this is a lot easier to understand than what john podesta is emailing about with regards to who funds who and and uh, whether there is going to be a, a nuclear war fallout from the iran deal in the middle east that stuff's complicated but ooh jamming his tongue down someone's throat i can understand that at least and so people ignore these wikileaks revelations and uh, yeah it is a sad day for uh, people who want some kind of proportional facts and focus so Attorney Mark E. Kazowitz, demand for retraction with regards to this article. Quote, we represent Donald J. Trump. We write in response to the libelous article published October 12, 2016 by the New York Times entitled, Two Women Say Donald Trump Touched Them Inappropriately. Your article is reckless, defamatory, and constitutes libel per se. It is apparent from, among other things, the timing of the article, that it is nothing more than a politically motivated effort to defeat Mr. Trump's candidacy. That is why you apparently performed an entirely inadequate investigation to test the veracity of these false and malicious allegations, including why these two individuals waited in one case 11 years and in another case more than three decades before deciding to come forward with these false and defamatory statements. Clearly, the New York Times is willing to provide a platform to anyone wishing to smear Mr. Trump's name and reputation prior to the election, irrespective of whether the alleged statements have any basis in fact. We hereby demand that you immediately cease any further publication of this article, remove it from your website, and issue a full and immediate retraction and apology. Failure to do so will leave my client with no option but to pursue all available actions and remedies. Now, 
as I predicted, the New York Times has uh, thus far refused to remove the article, despite their star witness already offering conflicting details of the events from more than 30 years ago. All right. Jill Harth. In 1992, Jill Harth and George Horanay met with Donald Trump to request that he financially back their pinup competition known as American Dream Calendar Girls. Harth would later describe that meeting as, quote, the highlight of our career. When the deal fell apart, Harth and Renee filed a business lawsuit against Trump, claiming that he broke his verbal contract by backing out of the American Dream Festival. Apparently, it's more than a calendar. It was a festival. Harth then filed a personal lawsuit against Trump, claiming many things, including attempted rape. Now, stuff that's said, my understanding is, I'm no lawyer, but my understanding is that stuff that's mentioned uh, in the introduction to a lawsuit or other stuff, it's immune from libel, it's immune from slander, so you can basically say whatever you want, and uh, no one can do anything about it. Now, the business lawsuit between Trump, Harth, and Horanay was eventually settled, and the personal lawsuit was dropped. Despite the questionable timing of the personal lawsuit and it being dropped, that hasn't stopped the New York Times, hey, welcome back, from reporting the accusations it contained as if they were true. The Trump campaign has said, Mr. Trump denies each and every statement made by Ms. Hearth. These 24-year-old allegations lack any merit or veracity as evidenced by her repeated requests for employment, attempts to seek out Mr. Trump and her support of Mr. Trump's candidacy. I'm not sure a lot of women who claim that uh, they were victims of attempted rape would be big fans of the candidacy of the man they claimed attemptedly uh, attempted to rape them. So Harth, the woman, she emailed the Trump campaign in August 2015. I also want to put it out there, she said, that I would be willing to say at a rally or somewhere how Donald J. Trump helped me with my self-confidence and all positive things about how he is with women to counter any negativity that may come out at some point in the campaign. Harth emailed the Trump campaign again, October 2015. Hi, Donald. You were doing a tremendous job shaking things up. I am definitely on Team Trump. She emailed them constantly. And this is the best they can do. People Magazine. Now, it's just called People, but some people still call it People Magazine. On October 12, 2016, People published a story titled Physically Attacked by Donald Trump, a People writer's own harrowing story, which was written by Natasha Stoinoff, detailing allegations that Donald Trump, quote, attacked, end quote, her, 11 years ago. According to Natasha Stoinoff, quote, Our photo team shot the Trumps on the lush grounds of their Florida estate, and I interviewed them about how happy their first year of marriage had been. When we took a break for the then very pregnant Melania to go upstairs and change wardrobe for more photos, Donald wanted to show me around the mansion. There was one tremendous room in particular, he said, that I just had to see. We walked into that room alone, and Trump shut the door behind us. I turned around, and within seconds he was pushing me against the wall and forcing his tongue down my throat. I was stunned, and I was grateful when Trump's longtime butler burst into the room a minute later as I tried to unpin myself. I, tr- I tried to act normal. I had a job to do, and I was determined to do it. I sat in a chair that faced Trump, who waited for his wife on a love seat. 
The butler left us, and I fumbled with my tape recorder. Trump smiled and leaned forward. You know we're going to have an affair, don't you? He declared, in the same confident tone he uses when he says he's going to make America great again. Have you ever been to Peter Luger's for steaks? I'll take you. We're going to have an affair, I'm telling you. He also referenced the infamous cover of the New York Post during his affair with Marla Maples. You remember, he said, best sex I ever had. Again, not a legal mind, but a few questions pop into my head here. So, this, you know, you don't cry out, you don't push back, you just, you're stunned. You go limp. Well, that seems to be a quite a common response uh, and uh, in, in these kinds of stories. I don't know. Take, make of that what you win. But here's the thing, right? So he's, he's pushing you up against the wall. He's forcing his tongue down my throat. Like you can't bite. Oh, wait, that's more of a Clinton thing, apparently. But um, the butler burst into the room. Now, burst into the room means didn't knock. Just boom, burst into the room. Now, it makes it sound more dramatic. But you see, right there, right there, you have a witness. See? Right? Natasha, you have a witness because he burst into the room, didn't knock. You weren't composed. He burst into the room and saw Trump with you what was it, pinned up against the wall or whatever. They're pushing up. So you have a witness. That's sort of number one. Uh, number two, the idea that you're just going to go and sit and do the interview anyway. Well, I'm just going to, gosh darn it, do my job. I mean, I... But she's got a tape recorder right now. First of all, she's recording the interview. Now, why wouldn't she have the recorder on while he's giving her a tour of the house, right? And so she can remember what... He was saying when he gave her the tour of the house, right? Because she could write in the article. I assume I haven't read the article, but I assume there were pictures of the house. So she could write in the article, oh, he said this about this column, and he said this about this gold pewter uh, dish and all that. Or he, you know, this is where it came from. He could, she could get details. So I would assume that if you're interviewing someone and they're taking you on the tour around the house, that you keep your recorder on. Of course, if she'd kept her recorder on, all of this uh, scuffle uh, would have been recorded, as would have the next thing where he says, you know, we're going to have an affair, don't you? Harlequin dialogue. Anyway, so the other thing too, let's say that your recorder wasn't on. Well, you've got a job to do. You've got your recorder out. Push the record button. It's right there. It's big. You can't miss it. That's the whole point of these things. You push your recorder. So if she'd pushed the recorder, she would have had this whole best sex I ever had. Have you ever been to Peter Luger's? Maybe he offered to take her furniture shopping. I don't know. But you would have had this recorded and you would have had the story of the decade. I mean, that would have been absolutely stunning. It would have sold about a billion people magazines uh, back in the day. And uh, it's just astonishing. She would have absolutely had him dead to rights, just push the button. And if you didn't, for whatever reason, you weren't recording while he was taking you around the house, you, you didn't push the <laughs> recording on the tape recorder uh, when you're just about to report, record the guy, you have a witness, the butler. You have a witness. You could have written a story. You could have got corroboration from the butler and you would have sold about a billion magazines. You would have made a household name for yourself and uh, it would have been an astonishing thing. But nothing, uh, nothing happened. So, this, I mean, having the uh, uh, recording would be as, just as much as security footage, right? I mean, that recording was what got him into trouble with, with Billy Bush. So, I just wanted to point out that that's what pops into my mind when I hear this kind of story. Donald Trump said, Why wasn't it part of the story that appeared 12 years ago? Why wasn't it part of the story? It would have been one of the biggest stories of the year. Think of it. She's doing this story, and she said I, make, I made inappropriate advances. 
Take a look. You look at her. Look at her words. You tell me what you think. I don't think so. These people are horrible people. They're horrible, horrible liars. Take a look. You look at her. I mean, I think she's a little chunky. I don't know if she's that attractive. Just, you know, that may be what he's referring to, I'm, I'm guessing. So, um, yeah, the whole story was written. Nothing was mentioned about anything inappropriate. But now, 12 years later, <sighs> so her biography, right, to this woman's biography, notes that Natasha Stoyanov is a New York Times bestselling author and journalist who has worked with acclaimed psychic medium John Edward, as well as others, on books about the miraculous. Her books involving, quote, noted psychic, end quote, John Edward, include Afterlife, Answers from the Other Side, Final Beginnings, and Chicken Soup for the Soul, Hope and Miracles, 101 Inspirational Stories of Faith, Answered Prayers, and Divine Intervention. Stoyanov recently gushed over a note she received from Kirk Douglas on Facebook, noting, you actually, you have to know how to read between the lines. What Kirk Douglas is actually saying here is, Natasha, I love you. If I wasn't married to the fabulous Anne, I'd beg you to run away with me. I just know it. No shortage of imagination there for this lady. All right. On October 13th, 2016, Melania Trump's legal team issued a demand for retraction and apology to People magazine and Ms. Stoinoff. Quote, This law firm is litigation counsel for Melania Trump. We write in connection with certain of the false statements in the story authored by Natasha Stoinoff and published by People Online on or about October 12th, 2016, bearing the headline, Physically Attacked by Donald Trump, a People writer's own harrowing story. The story. The following statements in the story, among others, are false and completely fictionalized. We therefore demand that you immediately and permanently remove each of these statements from the story and print a retraction and apology. 1. That winter, I actually bumped into Melania on Fifth Avenue in front of Trump Tower as she walked into the building carrying Baby Baron. 2. Natasha, why don't we see you anymore? She asked, giving me a hug. 3. I was quiet and smiled, telling her I'd missed her, and I squeezed little Baron's foot. The true facts are these, say the lawyers. Mrs. Trump did not encounter Miss Stoinoff on the street, nor have any conversation with her. The two are not friends, and were never friends, or even friendly. At the time in question, Miss Trump, Mrs. Trump would not have even recognized Miss Stoinoff if they had encountered one another on the street. Your publication of the false statements is actionable and gives rise to claims of damages. Please confirm in writing within 24 hours of the transmission of this letter that the foregoing demands will be and are being fully complied with. Failure to do so will require Mrs. Trump to consider her legal options. Her lawyer then wrote, This letter is not intended as a full or complete statement of all relevant facts or applicable law, and nothing herein is intended as, nor should it be deemed to, constitute a waiver or relinquishment of any of my client's rights, remedies, claims, or causes of action, all of which are hereby expressly reserved. So, let's get to Mindy McGillivray. This one may just, in fact, blow your mind. But on Wednesday, October 12th, 2016, the Palm Beach Post reported Mindy McGillivray's claim that Donald Trump, quote, grabbed her ass 
end quote, after a Ray Charles concert at Mar-a-Lago on January 24th, 2003. According to the Palm Beach Post, quote, after the show, Ken Davidoff and McGillivray were standing in a pavilion behind the main house in the middle of a group of people. To their left was Regis Philbin and his wife Joy, according to Davidoff. To McGillivray's immediate right was Trump and his fiancée, Melania. She says, um, All of a sudden I, I felt a grab, a little nudge. I think it's Ken's camera bag. That was my first instinct. I turn around, and there's Donald. He sort of looked away quickly. I quickly turned back, facing Ray Charles. And I'm stunned. There it is again. Stunned, paralyzed, helpless. Davidoff said he did not witness the alleged groping, but he said he has never had any reason to doubt McGillivray, asked about the possibility that what she felt was Trump or someone accidentally bumping into her, McGillivray said, no. This was a pretty good nudge, more of a grab, she said. It was pretty close to the center of my butt. I was startled. I jumped. So she was stunned and jumped. So she thought it might have been a camera bag. She looks around. She sees Trump. She assumes that Trump grabbed her. Couldn't he have just bumped into her or something? I mean, it's a concert or after the concert or whatever the hell it is. I mean, so, American men, now you can't even go to a concert. How's that? Just stay home. In addition to the obvious logical errors, there are also factual errors in the story. Namely, one, Donald Trump, or I can't believe I have to say this stuff. Oh, please, election, end soon. <laughs> So I can get back to what I like. One, Donald Trump proposed to Melania in April 2004. So at the proposed time of the concert, Melania Trump was not Donald Trump's fiance, although that's how she was reported. Number two, this seems somewhat important. No Ray Charles concert occur occurred on January 24th, 2003. Hmm. Three, Getty Images has a Davidoff Studios photo showing Trump, Melania, and Ray Charles from January 1st, 2003, over three weeks before the alleged nudge took place. And it was the wrong airplane. Oh, wait, sorry, no, that's a, that's a different story. McGillifrey also told the Palm Beach Post about her criminal history. Quote, she told the Post she has numerous traffic infractions over the years and two felony arrests. She was arrested when she was 17 for breaking into a school and got probation. And in 2012, she was arrested on a DUI, driving under the influence, and child neglect charges because a child was in the car. She was adjudicated guilty of a misdemeanor. When asked why she came forward now, McGillifray noted that it was important, quote, to set a good example for my daughter, who was thankfully not hurt in the previous DUI incident. So... This is just the basic fact-checking. I was here at this concert on January 24, 2003, seeing Ray Charles when this terrible thing happened. Okay, you got the internet. No one's asking you to invent a time machine. You don't have to pick up your own DeLorean and wild-haired Christopher Lloyd and go back in time. You just got to Google Ray Charles concert January 24, 2003. No, that wasn't the concert. Was Melania Trump Donald Trump's fiancé, as was claimed by... Nope. It's right there on the internet. There's a picture with a date 
from David Off Studios. You can find it very easily. The question is, hmm, why doesn't the mainstream media do what I would consider to be basic fact-checking before publishing these stories? I think we all know the answer to that one. Ivana Trump. Now, this is a bit of an old one. And this is ah, just when you think they can't go any lower or darker. It's a new low, even for the media. The Daily Beast wrote a story claiming that Donald Trump had raped his ex-wife, Ivana Trump. So these accusations emerged from speculation in the 1993 book, The Last Tycoon, The Many Lives of Donald J. Trump by Harry Hurt. Here we are again with the Dickensian names. Ivana Trump said regarding this claim, quote, I have recently read some comments attributed to me from nearly 30 years ago at a time of very high tension during my divorce from Donald. The story is totally without merit. Donald and I are the best of friends and together have raised three children that we love and are very proud of. I have nothing but fondness for Donald and wish him the best of luck on his campaign. Incidentally, I think he would make an incredible president. Pageant accusations. All right. Donald Trump on Howard Stern, April 2005, about a pageant. Okay. My particular opinion, everybody has their weakness. Everybody has their peccadillos. Everybody has their soft spot. You know, that tiny little smog underbelly where weaknesses flow out. I have them. You have them. In my particular opinion, Donald Trump does have a little bit of a weakness for alpha male dude locker room kind of talk. I just, you know... It's just everybody has their weakness. It's not a particularly crippling one. It's just that uh, he kind of falls into that goofy sexualizing pattern. In my opinion, not a huge flaw, but explains some things. Anyway, so Donald Trump and Howard Stern says, I'll tell you, the funniest is that I'll go backstage before a show and everyone's getting dressed. No men are anywhere and I'm allowed to go in because I'm the owner of the pageant and therefore I'm inspecting it. Is everyone okay? You know, they're standing there with no clothes. Is everybody okay? And you see these incredible looking women. And so I sort of get away with things like that. So kind of jokey. And uh, boy, you you, got to be careful about making jokes these days. There's a reason why Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock don't want to play college campuses anymore. Cassandra's series, Miss Washington 2013, on Facebook in June. Quote, Do y'all remember that one time we had to do our onstage introductions, but this one guy treated us like cattle and made us do it again because we didn't look him in the eyes? Do you also remember when he then proceeded to have us lined up so he could get a closer look at his property? Oh, I forgot to mention that guy will be in the running to become the next president of the United States. Okay. My education on pageants is, I think I've watched Miss Congeniality some years ago. Pretty funny movie, but... um, so you got to do on-stage introductions. You have to do it again because didn't look him in the eye. Well, if you don't look someone in the eye, you don't look direct. You don't look honest. I have to look down to read some of this stuff, but I'm trying to look in the eye where I can. But um, so, yeah, you know, if, if someone says smile when you take a picture and you don't smile or you do one of those Schwarzenegger learning how to smile, how's my flesh suit looking kind of smiles, well, um, they're going to ask you to do it again. Of course, you know, if you walk down the runway and you trip and fall, they're going to say, hey, maybe you should walk down the runway again. If you're sneezing in the middle of a fashion shoot when they click the picture, they're going to say, do so. If you don't do something right, guess what? They're going to ask you to do it again. And then somebody who's 
in a fashion, sorry, is, is in a beauty pageant where they're, you know, I guess, I don't know if they still are, but for quite a long time they were rolling around in their tiny little bikinis um, to be lined up to get a closer look at how attractive they are. I, I don't know how that's shocking. I don't know how that's appalling. You're in a beauty pageant. You're there to look good and to have a talent, I suppose. And so you you see them, they're all lined up and people are looking at how attractive they are. So, yeah, he had us lined up so he could evaluate how attractive we are. I never thought I'd see that in a beauty pageant. Ah! How does Facebook not explode from the irrationality? Ah. She also added, he probably doesn't want me telling the story about the time he continually grabbed my ass and invited me to his hotel room. I don't know. What flashes out at me is the word story right there. And, you know, 2013, you know, Trump's pushing 70. He may be past his grabbing days. It's just a possibility. It's just a possibility. You know, um, 11 years ago, uh, not he was like 58, 59 or whatever, right? So anyway, so it's on Facebook. And... Uh, she doesn't seem to be particularly happy about the whole are you pretty thing that seems to go on with beauty pageants. So what can I say? Um, Temple Taggart. Ooh, <laughs> here's another Ayn Rand character. Temple Taggart, Miss Utah, 1997, uh, about Trump. He kissed me directly on the lips. I thought, oh, my God, gross. He was married to Marla Maples at the time. I think there were a few other girls that he kissed on the mouth. I was like, wow, that's inappropriate. Natasha Rickley, Miss Nebraska, 1997. Same year. Same year. Quote, I was contacted today by a producer at ABC News in New York. She is wanting to question me regarding the Miss Teen USA allegations. They also let me know that they are reaching out to all of my fellow contestants from 1997. I am going to be very truthful and let ABC know that Donald Trump was an absolute gentleman. I never witnessed any inappropriate behavior whatsoever the entire two weeks that I participated in the pageant. I'm sure that none of my interview will make the news since I have nothing but positive things to say about my experience with Donald. I do find it interesting and important for people to know that these are the depths the media is going to for their smear campaign. So, Miss Teen USA, Maria Bellardo former Miss Vermont teen USA. Quote, I remember putting on my dress really quick because I was like, oh my God, there's a man in here. When he started running for president, that is one of the first things I thought about. Oh, gross. This guy walked in on us in the pageant. I remember it shocking me. I barely let anybody except my sister see me getting dressed. It was more of a pompous, I own this place rather than a perverted thing. Okay. I... Spent some time in the theater world uh, as an actor, as a writer, as a, a director once or twice. And, you know, when you're backstage changing, there's not a lot of modesty. You know, I mean, I remember playing Macbeth and having to change for fight scenes and so on. You just dump what you got, keep your skivvies on and get something on new because you got to get a quick turnaround. There's a lot of hustle. There's a lot of bustle. My understanding is that these girls had private change rooms, but some of them opted for reasons of who knows why to change in a more common area. Now, if you're changing in a common area where people can be, you run the risk that somebody might see you in your underwear. Why somebody seeing in your underwear is so fundamentally different from someone seeing you in a bikini, 
I don't know. But then again, I don't know <laughs> much about these things. So if you don't want to be seen uh, in your underwear, then change in a private area. If you're going to change in a more public area, then that is the kind of risk that you take. So BuzzFeed said, three other women who asked to remain anonymous for fear of getting engulfed in a media firestorm also remembered Trump entering the dressing room while girls were changing. Two of them said the girls rushed to cover their bodies, with one calling it shocking and creepy. The third said she was clothed and introduced herself to Trump. Altogether, BuzzFeed News attempted to contact 49 of the 51 contestants at that pageant. 34 declined to talk or could not be reached. Of the 15 women who were interviewed, none accused Trump of saying anything sexually explicit or of making physical contact in the dressing room. Jessica... Sorry, Jessica Granata, former Miss Massachusetts, Teen USA. There were so many chaperones, I can't even fathom. It was very secure. Alison Bowman, former Miss Wisconsin, Teen USA. These were teenage girls. If anything inappropriate had gone on, the gossip would have flown. Crystal Hughes, former Miss Maine, Teen USA. There was way too much security. If that was something he did, then everybody would have noticed. They're probably lying because they're voting for Hillary Clinton. Not a bad place to end before I try to give you some useful stuff out of this muckraking. Okay, there are more women out there, I'm sure of it. There are more women who are going to come forward and make these claims because there's this hope, of course, now that Donald Trump has, quote, revealed his um, grabby ways, right, with, I assume he's referring to women who are groupies for fame uh, and fortune for famous uh, rich men and so on. And even more to come. And they're going to say, well, you know, too many similar things. It's uh, more believable and so on. Okay. But if grabbing pussy is so terrible, I mean, there's an actual video, an actual video of Bill Clinton putting his hand between the legs of a stewardess. You can see this video. There's no video of Trump doing this, but there's a video of Bill Clinton doing this. Is the, was the media all over this? No. There's a video, believe it or not, of Obama Uh, basically displaying his uh, erection to a bunch of giggling female reporters. I think it's on a plane while he's on the phone or whatever. And again, you can have have a look. I, you know, I hesitate to say, but have a look because we just need to get clarity on this kind of stuff. Now, there is a reasonable question, and I want to respond to this directly. People will say, well, why would you believe the stuff that the women say about Bill Clinton, but not the stuff that women say about Donald Trump? Well, first of all, Trump accusers get uh, praised. They get prominence. They get treated in a very positive way in the mainstream media. Clinton accusers get vilified, right? Joy Behar recently had to apologize for in the past calling them tramps. Uh, and uh, Juanita Broderick is talking about having to move because she's afraid um, uh, of what's going to happen to her. And she claims her children were threatened and so on. So, so you know, there was the Monica stuff. Now, the Monica stuff, of course, was um, not coercive, but... Pretty big power differential between an unpaid intern and the president of the United States. Bill Clinton did pay out $850,000 to Paula Jones uh, for sexual harassment. And here's the thing. This is sort of one of the reasons why I think it's so so different, right? So Juanita Broderick says that uh, Bill Clinton raped her, bit her lip almost in two, and it's a brutal thing. So she did an interview. Uh, She's crying, and she was said, well, the big problem is that you're really credible. And so... It was such a powerful interview that NBC waited until after the Senate impeachment vote. So in one case, you have uh, accusations that are broadcast 
continuously, endlessly, wall-to-wall coverage before the election. Accusations against the Republican nominee that are repeated endlessly in the mainstream media before the election. In other situations, you have accusations against a Democrat uh, who's in office that the... um, network holds on to until after a Senate impeachment vote. So that seems kind of relevant. And these false allegations that have occurred before, like I don't know the veracity of these allegations. I mean, it's a he said, she said stuff. And innocent until proven guilty plus beyond a reasonable doubt to me would have you want air on the side of caution. And not to say that these women are liars, but simply to say that there's no way to establish beyond reasonable doubt what happened. And there have been a number of discredited, as I mentioned before, discredited uh, allegations of, of rape or harassment or, or, or sexual abuse. And each one of these chips away at believability, particularly when they're coming from the left and are against people on the right. And this kind of stuff is, is hanging over men's heads now because apparently there's a patriarchy that controls everything. And this is really significant. You know, we have to maintain these standards of innocent until proven guilty and the need for proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And not, well, you know, it was an alleged and somebody said something. And no, this is not how we can run our society. This is not any way for men to live. And it's far too much power to hand uh, to women. No one can handle that kind of power. Now, the reality is, and this is sort of what I want to close on, because this, I think, is the most important thing. The reality is that this is not taking down Donald Trump. In fact, it seems to be making him stronger. The perception that Donald Trump is the truth teller, the honest man going to Washington to fight the entrenched political elites on both the Republican and the Democrat side of the aisle is a very compelling narrative. Yes, in some ways, he was a little frivolous when he was younger. But I'm going to tell you this. This is a very powerful story arc all the way from Henry V to Han Solo, you name it. There is almost nothing in this world more powerful than a frivolous man getting serious, abandoning his wayward youth, abandoning his mistakes, honestly owning up to his shortcomings and dedicating himself to a larger, more noble, more powerful cause. That is an astonishing transformation to go from frivolousness to very powerful seriousness and a moral cause larger than your own life. That is a very, very powerful transformation. And the degree to which the media is going to keep hacking away and hacking away at this, it's only reinforcing Why people think Donald Trump is so necessary to begin with. Is the media talking about policy? Uh, Is is the media talking about numbers or facts or national debt or or foreign policy? No! No, they're not. Those things are complicated. Maybe it costs some viewers. I don't know. But bringing up all this salacious stuff, uh, these stories and so on, well, that's exactly what people are so frustrated with. That this is not an argument. These are not things that are proposed by various political candidates that need to be unraveled and understood and weighed against each other and so on. Do you want your taxes raised or do you want your taxes lowered, right? Do you want uh, uh, an expansion of the state or do you want a shrinking of the state? Do you want more taxes uh, on uh, the rich or do you want lowering of taxes uh, for corporations, on corporations? This is the conversation that needs to be had. This is the only way that any kind of democracy, even the one that hangs itself on the remnant of the republic, can ever have any legitimacy is if you really talk about the issues. And the media is not talking about the issues. They are slinging mud with these cannons of allegations that will never be proved. 
as far as I understand it. Maybe some big giant secret recording will come out. But I think if that were there, it would have already been trotted out. I mean, Alicia Machado was supposed to be, oh, he called me fat and and Miss Piggy and so on. And that seems to have fallen apart. And all of these attacks, this is why people feel the need for Donald Trump in the first place, because they're absolutely sick and tired of the media dragging everything down to slander, innuendo, and these stories that can't ever be proved, but are supposed to leave a negative stain on somebody's character anyway. The harder the establishment fights him, the more people are going to line up behind Donald Trump. I'm telling you that from the very, very bottom of my heart. I know that's not an argument. I'm just putting it forward as an observation. He is a true populist in that he is taking the slings and arrows of outrageous media attention because he has a cause. And his cause is to attempt to reclaim the government, free it from special interests, and turn it back to the needs of the people. To try and get people jobs, to negotiate better trade deals, to lower their taxes. And yes, to provide benefits for women to have children. Those already exist. They're called the welfare state. It's just that he wants someone other, some group other than people dependent on the welfare state to also get some government largesse for having children. That's not the end of the world. As far as you've got to spend some money, that's not the worst way to possibly do it. So the sort of selective outrage, let's focus on these allegations rather than the, in my view, much more credible and serious allegations against Bill Clinton um, or what's coming out in the Podesta emails regarding uh, Hillary Clinton, regarding the Democrat establishment as a whole. And we still don't know what's going to come out of that. But if more stuff comes out, more women, I assume, are going to be trotted out to say things about Donald Trump. Uh, People are sick and tired of it. They are sick and tired of being manipulated, of not being listened to, of being controlled, of being programmed, rather than having reason and evidence be the factor that helps them weigh their decisions on who to vote for. And here's the thing, the last thing I want to say. It's a war right now. It's a war for the soul and the future, not just of America, but for the Western world as a whole. It's a war. Let me tell you something. If you're in a war, do you really care if your general is a saint or not? Your goal is to win the war. People don't care about this stuff. Most people, I think. They care about the fact, as Michelle Malkin wrote, it's like if a third... A healthcare plan, insurance plan has been canceled. Premiums are up 70, 75% in various places. Choices are falling apart for people with their healthcare. The old promise, if you like your healthcare plan, you can keep it. If you like your doctor, you can keep it. False. People care a little bit about that rather than what might or might not have happened on an imaginary airplane 34 years ago. They don't care. They don't care. They care that they can't get a job. They care that they're trapped in the sticky, Democrat-laden underworld of welfare. They care that the schools are terrible. They care that the bridge is creaking as they drive across it. They care that they're strolling through a third-world airport if they can even afford a plane ticket. They care that significant portions of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings. They care that the economy has barely grown over the past few years. 
They care that people are working harder to make less money than they were 20 years ago. They care about that. They care about those things. They desperately care about the future of the culture, whose historical remnants still nourish the dreams of a freer future. They care about those things. And when they hear things like, well, your guy, the guy you desperately need to win and save you from the onrushing collectivist disaster you see overrunning you in his absence. Well, that guy might have done something untoward on an airplane 34 years ago. They say, we don't care. He's our general. He needs to win. He doesn't need to be perfect. Because the only perfection they need is the victory.